Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today for our 30th anniversary celebration, and all of you online as well. Thank you for being out there and, and checking in uh, what we're doing here. You know, it's, it's hard to believe uh, that it's been 10,950 days since we opened our doors for the very first time on September the 20th, 1992. And those first six years as a church were quite brutal. As you saw in the video, we did church out of a truck, and and I often wondered whether we would survive and be around for another week. But by God's grace, here we are three decades later. And I, I, I am so thankful. In fact, if I could choose just one word to describe how it is that I've been feeling today, it, it, is, it would be the word thankful. I am so very thankful. Thankful to God for his goodness and grace because without him, none of this would have been possible at all. I'm also thankful just that he saved me, just that he allowed me to become a Christian. Uh, I was the first in my family to come to know Christ, and I wouldn't be surprised if I was the first Shiohama ever to come to know Christ because we come from a family of Buddhists, including a Buddhist priest that I know of in our family, going back for hundreds and hundreds of years back in Japan. So I am so thankful that Jesus allowed me to become a Christian. I'm also thankful for all the special people that God has placed in my life over these years. Of course, my parents, my mom and dad, my brother Larry and his wife Dee, and, and the one that I'm the most thankful for is my wife Cheryl, who I met on that very first day that we started, September 20th, 1992, and she's been with me ever since. Um, you know, she has been my best friend, my ministry partner, and um, the biggest supporter uh, that I've ever had. And I've come to appreciate the fact that she will always tell me the truth about whatever it is I need to hear. Sometimes I don't want to hear it, but she will always tell me the truth. For example, she will tell me when I don't have a very good message, and she'll just say, that was a lousy message. <laughs> she will also, she has also said to me, you know, your swaying is making me seasick. <laughs> you need to stop swaying. You know, I get up here, and now you know that I sway. And so somebody told me uh, during the, during the mealtime right after the first service that the next time you start swaying, we're going to all start swaying. <laughs> and the audience, and I thought that was hilarious. But uh, she will always tell me the truth. She will even ask questions that are very truthful, like she'll ask the question, um, you're not going to wear that shirt, are you? <laughs> and for those guys, you know, that's code for that's an ugly shirt, don't you dare wear it. But you've heard the saying that behind every good man is a great woman, and that's, that's my wife, Cheryl. She is a great, great lady, and I am so thankful for her. <laughs> she, no one has worked harder uh, these last 30 years than her. And no one has done more to set and establish the culture of warmth and kindness that is South Bay Community Church than her. I really believe she's done that. I'm also um, so very thankful for my daughters, Kylie and Natalie. I know that Natalie's here to, today. Kylie was here last night. And uh, I, I'm thankful for, for them because of all the sacrifices that they have made as a preacher's, as preacher's kids. Um, PKs is what they call them. And for all their lives, they have lived in a glass bubble 
for, for everyone to see as I tell stories about them. But, you know, they say that PKs don't do very well, and, and that seems to be the case for a lot of different reasons. But, but Kylie and Natalie have, have really thrived, and I, and I believe that the reason they have is, is really because of you, because of the way that you have loved them, the way that you've treated them, not any differently than anybody else because they're PKs, but just because they're just special, just like everybody else is special. And, and that really leads me to the, the fourth thing that I'm thankful for, and that's you. I am so thankful for each and every one of you, um, for all of you uh, who have served over the years, and, and so many of you have served this weekend. Uh, and over the years, I, I was just thinking about what are all the things that people have done? I mean, com- coming and setting up chairs and taking down chairs and setting up things and setting up for events and taking things down and serving on the worship team and serving on the tech team, pushing buttons so that we're getting this message out to hundreds of people all across the country and across the world. For those of you who served in kids' crew, for those of you who have gone on mission trips, for those of you who've supported mission trips, for those of you who just give generously of your time and of your gifts and of your your financial resources, those of you who pray for others. And, and I can go on and on and on all the ways that you've served. And I, you know, this church wouldn't be what it is without you. And I've just got to tell you that it has been the greatest honor of my life uh, to, to be, have been your pastor for the last 30 years. And for some of you, I've only been your pastor for a few years, and I'm just only one of your pastors because there's six of us now. But and for some of you, I've, I've been your pastor for only a few months and, and then some for only a few weeks because some of you are new to our church. And, and I want to tell you, if you're new to our church, you, you also mean the world to me. And uh, if, if, if I could describe it this way, I, I think the best way to do it would be just to say that you are family. You are my family. Uh, you are the people I love doing life with. And uh, over the years... We have laughed a lot because, you know, we love to laugh and, and then we've cried a lot because we've sometimes cried tears of joy and then sometimes tears of sadness. We've done that. We've been through some tough times together. I remember the times we've been through some real ups and downs, those tough times when we were homeless for three and a half years and meeting in a hotel and sometimes meeting in a park because we didn't have anywhere to meet. Uh, the pandemic was certainly a tough time, and it's so good to be coming out of that. Um, and throughout it all, you have always been there, uh, unwavering in your support and your prayers for me and our church, and I cannot be more thankful. And even when I made mistakes, and boy, in 30 years, I have made so many of them, I could write a book, uh, but so many of them, and, and even when I've made mistakes, you have always been so gracious and you've always been so forgiving uh, as we have been able to move on. So, beloved, thank you so much for being my family. Um, I mean that with all my heart. And even for all of you who are online, and I, I probably haven't met many of you because you're all over the country and all over the world, and I know that many of you, maybe most of you think, consider South Bay Community Church to be, to be your family. Well, you are our family, and I can't wait for the day when we're all together, reunited in heaven, all of you who are online, and I hope that when we get to heaven, you know, we said last week that there aren't floor, there probably aren't floors, but there are rooms, and I hope that there will be a room, and on the gate or the door of the room, there'll be a sign that says South Bay Community Church, and, and online and, 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 you know, present, and we'll all gather together for all eternity to do life 
uh, together uh, with the Lord. So I, I'm looking forward to that. You know, a lot has changed in 30 years. Things are different today in 2022 than they were in 1992. And we've talked a little bit about this uh, in previous messages, but one of the things that's changed is that the world has gotten darker. It's darker today than it has ever been in my, in my lifetime. Uh, another thing that's changed is that people's hearts have grown colder because their love for God is, has waned. But there's one thing that hasn't changed in the last 30 years, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the one thing that hasn't changed, and, and that has been the driving impetus for our church from the very beginning. In fact, the slogan that we came up with is that our mission statement, actually, is that we are about helping people all over the world who are far from God find and follow Jesus Christ. We, that's, been, that's what's driven us. That's our mission, to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. And the reason why the gospel is so important is because I believe that Jesus is the only hope of the world. As we look about the world today and we see all the darkness and we see all the crime and we see all the hate and we see all the, the anger and we, we see things literally dis- disintegrating before our very eyes, the only hope that this world has is Jesus. And therefore, we need to preach the gospel and that's what we've endeavored to do. Not only is, is Jesus the only hope, but we, we need to preach the gospel because as we say around here often, it's not okay for one person to go to hell. Not okay for one single person to go to hell. And so that's why we've endeavored to help people find and follow Christ. And, you know, when I started South Bay Community Church, uh, it was never my dream that we would become a mega church. I'm surprised that it's grown the way that it has, and I'm surprised that there's many people as there are here. But it was never my dream that we would become a mega church. I want to be a big church. I want to be a big church. Never, not not even close to that. My only dream was that people would experience what I've experienced. The only dream that I had was that people would know Jesus as I've gotten to know Jesus, that that they would know that their sins are forgiven, that they would know that if they put their faith in him, they could live forever in heaven with him one day. And that if they put their faith in Christ, that they'll also get a family. And they could be loved by other people and they could do life together. And that's what it's always been about, that, uh, that I wanted people to know Jesus. And the reason? Because God is real. God is real. And if you don't believe in him, I'm telling you today, after nearly 50 years as a Christ follower, he is real. And Jesus came to earth to die on a cross for your sins. And he was raised from the dead. Those are all truths you can take to the bank. And you see, you can't keep something as good as Jesus to yourself. He must be shared. And that's what we've tried to do. And, and I think the good news is, I think that a lot of people have come to know Christ in the last 30 years through our ministry. I can't put a number on it, but I think a lot of people have. But the bad news is, there are probably more people, in fact, I know that there are more people who haven't come to Christ than who have. And that's through our ministry. And that's not okay either. And so that just means that our work's cut out for us. It means that we have a lot of work to do. And so today we're going to celebrate, and then tomorrow we go back to work because there are people that we need to tell, uh, we need to tell Jesus about. So, so I believe that even though the world is getting darker and people's hearts are growing colder, I believe that the best days of ministry are ahead for us because the darker the world gets, the brighter the light of Jesus shines, the brighter the light is. And so 
I want to close with this story, and then I want to introduce our guest. In his autobiography, Benjamin Franklin wrote about life in Philadelphia in the 1770s. And he talked about how life in, in, in Philadelphia in the 1770s, I mean, they didn't have any lights. There was no electricity. They didn't have flashlights. They didn't have a cell phone or a smartphone that you can turn on your flashlight and you'd have lights all of a sudden. And so when there wasn't a moon over the sky on a moonless night, Philadelphia, the city, would be pitch black. In fact, the same thing would be true here. If we didn't have any lights, zero lights, when night, when night came here in the South Bay, it would be very dark. And Ben Franklin writes about that, how in Philadelphia, it was pitch black at night on a moonless night, and people would trip, and it would be common for them to fall, and they would get lost. And then there were homeless people, even back then. And he says in crime, there was crime on the streets. And so it was a very dangerous place to be around in Philadelphia in the 1770s. And so he said, I came up with an idea. He said, I came up with an idea, and that is if, if we can get everyone to get a little lamp, a lamp, a lamp basically, um, and pu put, it on a, put it on a stick and put it out in front of their house and light it up with a candle, he said, we could start lighting up our city. And when he shared that idea with some people, they said, oh, no, no, we, know we don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. It's as if men love darkness more than they love light. And so he says, well, you're not going to do it, but I'm going to do it. So he designed this lamp. It looks just like this. It has four glass sides to it and a little chimney on top. And what he would do is you just get a candle and stick it inside, and the chimney, the smoke would rise out of the chimney. And then he would get that little lamp, and he said he would stick it on a, a, a post, basically, or a stick. And he would stick it on there, and it would give off light. And nobody wanted to do it, but he says, okay, well, I'm going to do it. And so he got one of these little lamps and put a, put a candle inside, stuck it up in front of his house, and it gave off a beautiful, warm glow, a little light. And some of his neighbors would walk by and go, wow, that's, that's kind of nice. You can actually see right around that area. And I thought it was really cool that, that the next night his neighbor said, I'm going to do the same thing. So he got one of these lamps and put a candle and stuck it up in front of his, in front of his house. And now there were two lights. And people thought, well, this is kind of cool. Somebody else across the street says, I'm going to do the same thing. So he got the lamp, put it in front of his house. And before you know it, everybody on the street put a lamp in front of their house, put a candle in, stuck it on a pole, and that whole street was lit up. Well, of course, people heard about it all over the city, and they would come to the street, and they'd just go, look at this street. Look at how bright it is. And so they all went back, and they all started putting lamps in front of their house. And before you know it, the entire city of Philadelphia was lit up at night, all because one man decided to be the light. You know, when I heard that story, I thought to myself, you know, we don't have the problem, unless they're rolling blackouts, we don't have the problem of, of it being pitch black at night. But our world, as I said, is getting spiritually darker by the day, right? And I believe, when I heard this story, I, I thought to myself, that's why, South, that's why God put South Bay Community Church here for such a time as this, that we would be a light to the rest of the world. Not a physical light, like a lamp, but a spiritual light. And that would be along the lines of what Jesus said. He said, go, let your light shine before men in such a way that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
And so church, I just want to say to you as we close, this is why God put us here. And this is what we need to continue to do. And so as we enter our 31st year as a church, we start the work again tomorrow. Continue to shine the light of Jesus. Wherever, you're, wherever God's planted you, wherever he puts you, you may be in another city and another country. Be the light of Jesus so that everybody around you will know who he is. Now, I want to introduce our special guest. And uh, I asked him to come down because more than anyone else, other than Jesus himself, Pastor Matt Hannon is, is most responsible for us being here today. And here's what I mean by that. I, you know, he was my pastor at the time. I had this dream of, of starting a church in the South Bay. And uh, he latched onto that, and he believed in my dream that there could be a thriving, vibrant church in the South Bay. And he and others have told me that the South Bay is often referred to as the graveyard of churches. I don't know if you know that, but it's referred to as the graveyard of churches because churches, for the most part, don't do well in the South Bay. And so he was behind that idea, and then, and then I began to have doubts. Oh, I don't think I can do this. Well, I haven't finished seminary, and oh, I'm single, and I you know, had all kinds of excuses. And he was the one who kept exhorting me, encouraging me. He was the one that kept saying, you can do this, Gary. You can do this. And I know he said that not because I'm some brilliant, talented guy. He said that because he knew what God can do through me and through anybody. Because as I've said often, so very often, I'm just as ordinary as ordinary can be. But with God inside of you, anybody can do anything. And he not only believed in the dream, but even when I didn't believe in myself, he believed in me. You know, some time ago, I think it was Pastor Corey Sheeta who said, who said at our church in a message, he said that he referred to me as your spiritual father. I think that's what he said. He says, Gary Shohama is your spiritual father. Well, if I'm your spiritual father, then Matt Hannon would be our spiritual, your spiritual grandfather. And so I've asked him to come out and share some spiritual grandfatherly thoughts with us on this occasion. So I want to ask you, will you join me in giving Pastor Matt Hannon a warm, warm South Bay welcome? Thank you, Thank you so much. Well, howdy. I, uh, I wish more of that were true. And every now and then your pastor lies to you a little bit, so you have to forgive him. But uh, I am grateful to have at least a, 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 a small part in uh, helping this congregation uh, kind of grow and move forward. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. And uh, I, I love this congregation. I, I just, it's been a joy watching the church to continue to grow and face challenges. And um, so it's just been really, really great. One of the questions, though, that I have, to, I have to ask is, why? Why has God blessed this church so very much? And in one sense, I think it's just because of the simplicity and clarity of your, of your mission statement. You see it when you, when you walk in, it's printed on your, on your uh, literature and so on, just helping people find and follow Jesus Christ. It's as clear as that. Pastor Gary's been so faithful to keep you on track to helping people find and follow Jesus Christ. Your, your staff, your elders have stayed focused on that. And uh, so it's just, it's, it's so terrific to, to, to see that. 
And uh, I, I want to just talk with you a little bit about that, just maybe getting behind your own mission statement at a very, very personal level. And I know even when I say the word mission statement, for some of you, it's a painful thing because, you know, in, in your workplace or whatever, uh, three or four of the big shots, they went away on a retreat. And when they came back, they had a, you know, they had a word from Sinai and they had a whole new mission statement. And they uh, had some terrible coffee mug that was, it was printed on that you had to live with for three years until the next group went up to Mount Sinai and got their special message. And uh, I, I, I know that, but I just want to say to you, wait a minute, the word mission, that's a Bible word. That's our word. The business community stole our stuff, okay? So we need to steal it back. And it's right to be on mission. It's, it's right to stay focused in terms of mission. And so what I'd like to do, if it's okay, is just remind you of the Apostle Paul's mission statements. Easy, just six words. You can memorize it in a second. He says, Philippians 121, to me, to live is Christ. And that's about as boiled down as you can get it. But every component of that is significant. And if I can, I'd just like to take it apart with you for a second. So just start with that, to me. It has to be personal. That's the beginning of really living out a mission statement. It has to be deeply, deeply personal. Not intellectual, not I believe, but I'm so busy I can't live the Christian life. I'll get to it later. No, that's not believing at all, you see? It, it, not, not political. I, I believe, and you can see it in how I vote, every two years. The rest of the time I contradict my faith. But those two years, boy, every two years I'm really faithful. No, that, that, that's, that's not a, a personal connection with God. Not private, even. Uh, you know, the, the Christian faith must be deeply personal, but it is not individual. When you come to faith in Christ, God gives you this gorgeous community of people that you get to walk together with. And they are a key to you moving forward in your faith. And we saw that in COVID, didn't we? Under COVID, uh, for various reasons, many of us got isolated from the church. And did you feel it? As you got separated from the church, you, you felt your faith waning in certain areas. We need one another. So the Christian faith is deeply personal, but it is not a private faith by any means. And so for it to be deeply personal, it has to be centering, first of all, on Christ. That's why the apostle Paul says in this letter later on, he says, you know, my goal is to know him, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Wow, that's fantastic. And then listen, and the fellowship of his sufferings. See, he, he wanted to know Christ in every possible way. And it was profoundly personal for him. Not just, maybe not just a mission statement, but a creed, if you want to say it that way. You know, that's from that Latin word, credo, I believe. And, 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 and when you deeply believe it, it changes how you live. You may remember uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and his uh, I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. There's the word. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And what he, what he was saying is, listen, you don't believe it if you're not helping make it happen. See, that's, that, that becomes the question. Is it personal for you? You say, well, where does it begin? Well, it begins in your mission statement. You know, you want to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. You begin by finding Christ. You can know about Christ. You, gotta, you have to enter into a full and final trust with him and him alone. You say, well, no, I, I found Christ. Well, great. Are you following? Are you continually following him? You say, well, I, I used to follow a lot. Hey, come on. Get with it. 
You see? He said, no, I'm finding, I'm following. Great. Are you helping? Because God has positioned you in, in prudent places so that you can help somebody move forward in their faith. To me, to live is Christ. To me, to live, it's not just practical, uh, personal, it's practical. You, you got to hear that. And I, I just, I, I love it for the Apostle Paul because when he wrote this little sentence, he wrote it in prison. And he's, he's like, I may be in prison, but let me tell you, I'm really living. Because your circumstance cannot def, de, define who you are. Christ defines who you are. As a matter of fact, this little book of Philippians becomes known as the book of joy. Because Paul says, hey, nothing's going to steal my joy away. I'm walking with Christ. And so, and so the, the question is, do, do I let my circumstance drive me off task? Or do I really center in, in who Jesus is? Paul says this, and later on he says, I've learned to live with almost nothing. And I know what it is to have nearly everything. Now listen, I've learned the secret of being content. There's a word we don't even hear anymore. Find someone who's content. I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, when it's centered on Jesus, everything goes away. And I know that it, it becomes a, a challenge because people think, yeah, but I'm facing some circum circumstances that are tough. I get that. You may have circumstances in your life that you wish God didn't know about. But you see, the, the beauty of it is Christ would walk with you in that. Christ would walk with you through your addiction. He's like, I'm ashamed of my addiction. That's okay. Like, I don't want anyone to know about my addiction. Can I tell you something? Jesus knows. No one even gave him a hint. He already knows. And he walked with you through your addiction. It's a sexual addiction. If it's a chemical addiction, if it's a love affair at the refrigerator, whatever it is. He's not afraid. He will walk with you through that. He, why? Because the Bible says... Jesus is our merciful and faithful high priest and he's able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. He knows what it is to live in this challenging world. Jesus would walk with you in your depression. You say, well, I mean, what does Jesus know about depression? Listen, on the night in which he was betrayed, he said, now my soul is deeply depressed even to the point of death. You're like, no... My Bible doesn't say depressed. That's true. You don't sell Bibles if you say that Jesus was depressed. But that's exactly what he's saying. It was a depressing moment. And though Jesus was utterly God, he was entirely man. And he felt the weight of that depression. He'll walk with you through that. He knows specifically what's that like. You, you may have a struggle with isolation and the feeling that you're alone and that no one gets it. Listen, can I tell you someone who knows what it is to have everybody in his life check out on him? The Lord Jesus Christ. Even the people who said, don't worry, I'm there to the last. They left the first. And yet still, he was faithful to them. He'd be faithful to you. He understands what you walk with. It's, it's, he, all he asks you to do this, listen, follow. Helping people find and follow Jesus Christ. Jesus' signature command, follow me. That's it. And the, the challenge is sometimes we follow them, but we stop following. And we're stuck in a place. The invitation to Christ is, come on, get up. Just keep on following. To me, to live is Christ. Ah, it is possible. Personal, practical, 
it's really possible. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's possible to live the life that God intended for you. But I have to tell you the truth. First, we have to get rid of the idols and images in our life. And I know you think, well, look, this is not like the ancient world where they had idols of, you know, wood and stone. Oh, you're right. We do it with cardboard. We don't even waste time on building a fancy one. We hold up this cardboard image. You hear it? We hold up this cardboard image of ourself. And we ask people to believe, this is really who I am. And we point from behind the cardboard and say, please, please believe this. I know who I am, but I don't want you to know. Please accept me. Please like me. Please say I'm okay. Please believe I'm successful. Then you know, the problem is while I'm holding the cardboard this way, you guys are sneaking a peek. It's like, uh, no, I want you to believe I'm successful too. And it's a frantic waste of time. You end up being like that guy in Wizard of Oz. Do not look at the man behind the curtain. It's just, it's just a, a terrible place to be. I'm going to say this. No one knows you like Jesus knows you. And yet no one loves you like Jesus loves you. And if you, if you get that truth, you find for the first time it's possible to be yourself. And beyond that, it's possible to become all that God wants you to be. You don't have to hide who you are because Jesus knows about it. You don't have to fear who he wants you to become because Jesus will walk you with you in that direction. And it's, it, it's just living an entirely different life, but it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know for some of you, you say, wait a minute, that's not the whole sentence. To me, to live as Christ, there are four key words that you left out. You're right. To die is gain. Right? That's the rest of that sentence. That's the perpetual component. That's, that's the thing that gives us something beyond the grave, something that will, will endure for eternity. And it's, it's a terrific thing. I, I travel a lot. And, wow, when you travel a lot, you end up filling out lots of forms. You enter all these different countries, and man, they've got all the forms and your passport number and the expiration date and so on. So. But here, here's where it gets down to it. It's like birth date, and then you've got to figure out, is it month day, year, year, month, day. They just, everyone does it different. But here's the form, the thing I've never seen on the form. Birth date, right underneath it, anticipated death date. That would sober you up in a hurry, wouldn't it? Right? What's your birth date? When do you plan on dying? Just jot that down next. See, what that would do, it would reveal to us something about the mission statement we've been living that we weren't even aware of. And how foolish it would be. If we had to put a t-shirt on that said, this is, this is really my mission right now. To me, to live is to live comfortably. To me, to live is to retire early. To me, to live is to hit a golf ball farther than anybody I know. To me, to live is to pursue recreation. To me, to live is to be perceived as a success, even though I know who I really am. Do you see how shallow it rings? How, how hard it is to just, just to hear that stuff? I, I, I want you to believe that, you know, I look good and whatever it is. To me, to live is to get my degree. Okay. Like I say, I travel a lot. And uh, I, I end up on the plane for long times. And, you know, you sit down with somebody 
you're not only going to be with them for the 12-hour flight, but sometimes you're there for the two-hour hold. And sometimes you're there for the, for the two hours that you're waiting to get off the runway. So you get to chat. And you, you may not get this, but one of the most frightening questions that you can hear if you're a pastor on an aircraft sitting next to someone you do not know is, so what do you do? <laughs> because you know if you tell them, they're going to be apologizing for all the vocabulary they've used in the last half hour. So I always say, well, I'll tell you what I do. We'll get to that. But I'd like to know first more about you. What do you do? Well, uh, I'm a, I just got my degree. I graduated. I'm a software engineer. So really, where, where are you going to go with that? Well, I worked as an intern in a company, and it seems like they want to hire me. That would really make me happy. I love that company. So, wow, that's great. Then what then do you see happening? Well, it's not that big of a company, and I honestly think that I could have influence, and I would hope to actually rise in leadership on that country, com, uh, company. Wow, that's cool. Uh, th- then what do you see happening? Well, I've always had this dream of starting my own business. That would be cool. If you could do that, then what do you see next for you? Well, it sounds a little arrogant, but I, I think I have a book in me because I see software differently than other people, and I'd like to write about that. That'd be cool. Well, then what would you do with that? Well, I mean, if the book really worked, I think, I'd just, I, think I could speak, just travel and speak behind that. Wow. Well, then, then what would you do? Well... I mean, by that time, I'd probably be ready to retire. Oh, really? Then what would you do? Uh, I say I like to fish, but I really never have time for fishing, so I'd probably do quite a bit of fishing. Oh, I love that. I, I love to fish myself. That's great. Uh, th- then what would you do? Well, I, I guess I'd, I'd die. <laughs> well, then what would you do? And it's an interesting thing to sit with someone who doesn't know you. You're a complete stranger to them. And hear them say, that thought terrifies me. To hear them say, I actually have no idea. To hear them say, I'm just hoping, and I don't even know if it's right, but I'm just hoping See, that's when I say, well, let me tell you what my job is. My job is to help you answer with absolute confidence what your plan will be at that moment in just the same way that you've anticipated all your, your life plan. Because I break it to them. You know, you already sense it. You're, you're not just a, a, a person who has an earthly existence. You feel it. You have an eternal existence. And if you don't have a plan for eternity, you don't have a solid plan for now. See, that's that's the challenge, isn't it? Go to the graveyard and you'll see it. Here's the birth date. There's a little dash. Here's the death date. There it is. Birth date, death date, dash in between. Don't you know most people are living their life for the dash? That's it. 
The truth of it is there's a line that extends on into eternity. You start living your life for the line and you'll be fearless with anyone who lives their life for the dash. You'll be free from anyone who's controlled by the dash. You, you will be able to function in an entirely different way. It's an enormous gift. It's a terrific opportunity. And if, you, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can help make that impact in your world. And it's such, such a blessing. You say, okay, where do I start? You start with your own mission statement. You find Christ. And then you determine to follow him. And then you say, okay, Lord, I want to be a helper. I want to help people towards you. And I want to take a minute and give you a chance to pray about exactly that. And I want to say this even before we pray. Um, while we're praying, the kids are going to come walk up on stage. And they actually, they know how to walk. They practice. They rehearse this. <laughs> so let's not miss this chance to talk deeply with God. Okay? Let's pray. Just you and God right there. This is your moment to be ready to respond to him. And if you're at the front end, the beginning is to find Christ. You cannot give away what you have not received. This is your moment to say, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm ready to respond to you. If you've never put your full and final trust in the Lord Jesus, now's the moment to do that. And you don't have to say any special or fancy words. I came to Christ in the middle of the night in my own bedroom, but Christ came to me fully. But if you're ready to say, Jesus, I give up trust in myself. It hasn't worked. And I put full and final trust in you, in who you are, and what you've done for me. I accept that you are entirely God and yet utterly man that you lived a life that I could never live. You died a death that you didn't have to die. And so I put my trust in you that that death was for me, that you died for my sins. You say it, you mean it, trust me. He knows how to work with you. He'll receive you. Maybe your challenge is following. You followed for some period, but somewhere along the line, you stopped following. You got diverted. You got misdirected. Today's the day to say, Lord, I want to follow again and fresh. Maybe this is the day for you to say, Lord, I need to renew a daily time with you. Maybe this moment is the time for you to say, Lord, I want to reconnect with the body of Christ in a deep way. And I'm not going to quit until I am with others who are walking with you. Maybe you're just at that place. It's time for you to help. God's a very strategic God. And he's placed family, neighbors, friends, co-workers in your life. Some of them even popping in your mind right now. And now's the time to lift them up and say, Lord, would you help me know when and where to say a word for you? Now's the time. Lord, we just want to thank you and bless you for your mercy to this church for many years. And I pray for this congregation that you'll help them to be as faithful to you as their leadership has been for a long, long time. Please use them, bless them, multiply them. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>